Well, good morning again, Five Stones Church, and all our guests who are joining us online this Easter Sunday. In case you joined us late, my name is Pastor Rich Gao, and I'm glad you're with us. And it's my conviction that you are watching us not by chance, even if you happen onto our channel by chance, because God is at work in every person's life, and He will use even the most serendipitous of choices to reveal himself. You know, sometimes God seems like a 500-piece puzzle. And my hope today is some of those pieces will fall in place. Maybe it's a border piece that will help you anchor your thoughts about God. Maybe it's a trigger piece in the middle that sends your mind into a tizzy as you start imagining what the scene will be. Or maybe it's that last piece that you weren't able to find the place for. And when you click it in, the majesty of who God is comes into full view. Any of these moments are great, but let me just first commit our time to the Lord on this grandest occasion in Christianity. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the power of your resurrection. Father, they work hand in hand together. And so we ask for the Holy Spirit to come and to cause our minds to be open. A spirit of revelation would touch us. Our hearts, Father God, would be open like the tomb was. Lord God, that you could come and do your work. We commit this time to you. We thank you for your powerful word. In Jesus' name, amen. What I want to talk this morning about trembling and astonishment. And this comes from the passage that I opened the service with from Mark chapter 16. In that scene that's described to us, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James of Siloam had come to Jesus' tomb with spices that they might anoint his body. And as they were wondering how they would get into the tomb, since there was a large stone in front of it, they were shocked to find the stone had already been rolled away. So they go into the tomb, and then they were doubly shocked as an angel was sitting there. And so we pick up the encounter with Mary and Mary as they're talking to this angel. Verse 6, it says, The angel said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here's a place where they laid him. So I just imagined that the, the angel pointed to Mary and Mary and said, See, that's where he was. He's not here anymore. But go tell his disciples and Peter, He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Verse 8. Then they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And that's the verse I want to focus on this morning is Mary and Mary's response. They fled, from the, they fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. What a powerful picture of where we are at as we grapple with the COVID-19 crisis. We're moving about here and there to assist people who are in distress. Like Mary and Mary, acts of charity are deep within us as we try to add comfort to those who are troubled around us. But all the while, the prospect of the tomb is very near. Death is the specter that is making us feel angst-filled and fearful. We don't think it will touch us. We may not be part of the vulnerable part of the population, but one never knows. You can't be too sure. Hence, we must wash our hands, practice social distancing, stay at home, hunker down, and weather the storm until the plague passes. Mary and Mary were near the tomb, but in their case, they didn't flee because they were overcome with the dreadfulness of death or the fear of death. 
Instead, they fled the scene because the tomb was filled with light. Jesus wasn't there. What was going on? Isn't a tomb a site of mourning? Isn't a tomb a site of crying and tears? Yet death seemed to have been defeated. Jesus was gone. His burial cloth lying in the tomb, neatly rolled up. This is why my favorite little verses about the resurrection is that when Mary and, and the apostles went in, they saw the little burial cloths that Jesus had neatly rolled up because Jesus' mother had taught him well to take care of his clothes. And so on top of it all, there was this testimony of the angel. And so Mary and Mary were not gripped by grief. Instead, they were gripped by something new, trembling and astonishment. God cares about what grips us. And this is the piece of the puzzle I want you to know about God this morning. God cares about what influences us, what controls us, what surrounds us, what occupies our heart and mind. This is the fight of COVID-19. Yes, there are essential outer stuff that we need to worry about. Our jobs, our paychecks, our health, our family, whether we have enough masks, Lysol wipes, in our pantry. But there is an even more important essential that God cares about. It's the essential of what fills your heart. He does not want you to be oppressed by fear and demise and anxiety. He wants to fill you with peace and joy. How does he do that? 1 John 4.18 tells us the answer. The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. Now think of the WWE for a moment with me. I'm sorry to invoke this odd picture on Easter, but just stay with me. WWE stands for World Wrestling Entertainment. Think of two strong men entering the ring for a rumble and the championship crown. The reigning king is fear. He's ruled the ring of your heart for many a days. Maybe seasons. Heck, he may have even ruled your family line for generations. He's not about to give up his crown. But into the ring steps love. And all of a sudden, fear is in fear. The crowd goes wild. They think there's going to be a rumble of all rumbles. But instead, love picks up fear and hurls him out of the ring. It didn't even take seconds, even though it was a scheduled match for 10 rounds. Just like that, it's over. It wasn't even a contest. Love did it with such ease. It was like he was throwing a twig over the side, despite fear being a 300-pound hunk of muscle. That's the power of God's love. That's what the Bible means when it says that perfect love casts out fear. In the Greek, that word casts out is the word hurl, and it means to be thrown out without regard for where it lands or falls. There is no fear that can stand up to God's love. Friend, are there giants that you need God to hurl out of your life? That's what his love does. But let's notice the adjective here in this verse from 1 John. The Bible says that God's love is not just love, but perfect love. That is, it's not a partial love, it's not a temporary love, it's not a love that works when you're in a good mood, or it works some of the time. No, it's perfect love. 
And what does that mean? What does perfect love look like? Well, in the hours before Jesus died on the cross, he left us a little trail of sayings that were seemingly random and unconnected. Some of these comments were profound. Some of them were just very simple. But it turns out these final few phrases paint an amazing picture of what God's perfect love is all about. Think of them as seven essential services from God that meet the seven essential needs of the human heart. So let's trace what Jesus said. First comes from Luke chapter 23, 34. As Jesus was hanging on the cross and the guards were casting lots for his garments, and the multitudes and the soldiers and the rulers were mocking and sneering at him, saying, if you said you could save the people, why not save yourself? So he was enduring all this mocking. And in the midst of that, as he's looking down, he says, Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How many times have we done things that we regret? Stupid things, foolish things, decisions we've made that we wish we could take back. Words we said which were cruel or filled with venom. In fact, many of us may be still living with the consequences of our bad actions. But when Jesus was looking down from the cross, when he looks down on your mistake and my mistake, what does he say? Get out of my sight? No, rather he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus forgives. Jesus shows compassion. Jesus has mercy because you don't know what you are doing when you are in the throes of sin. This doesn't mean that you're not accountable for your actions. It just means you don't realize how dark your behavior is, how destructive it is, how opposite to God it is. We may have done some pretty bad things, but Jesus forgives you today. There's no sin you've committed which is bigger than God's forgiveness. After all, he prayed for those that literally nailed him to the cross. It's part of his perfect love. Second thing that we see here that Jesus said comes from also Luke 23, where he said, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. As Jesus was hanging on the cross, having been crucified between two other criminals, one of them was penitent and remorseful. He realized that Jesus was innocent and did not deserve to die. He realized that Jesus was the Son of God and had the power to forgive and grant eternal life. So in one of the most humble and poignant phrases ever uttered by a sinner, this thief said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He didn't say, Please forgive me. He didn't say, Please save me. He just said, Remember me. The thief realized that his chance of getting into eternity were almost slim to none. So he couldn't even pray to be rescued. He couldn't even ask that God would touch him. He didn't deserve it. But what did Jesus say? Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. We all long for eternity. We long for permanent security to know that when we die, we will be safe. What happens to us 10 seconds after we die? Where do we go? What happens to our consciousness? Do we descend or do we ascend? Jesus saw right into the thief's heart and he saw the repentance and the regret. He saw the genuine humility. 
And this is what God is after. And so Jesus did the unspeakable and said, you're going to be with me in paradise when we both die today. A life that was filled with crime and sin was now filled with peace and rest. God sees what's in our heart. And if it's fake, it's a no-go with him. But if it's real, eternal life is ours despite a life badly lived. That's deep mercy at work. In John 19, we have the third thing that Jesus said. He said, woman, behold your son. As Jesus was dripping with blood on the cross, he still had one family detail to tend to. He had to entrust his mother to someone. Jesus' mom was a widow. Joseph, her husband, passed away when Jesus was probably in his teens. As the oldest son, Jesus assumed responsibility to take care of his mom. Now that Jesus was moments away from dying, he had to transfer custody so that someone else would take care of her. That someone else was John the Apostle. Thus Jesus said to his mom, Woman, behold your son, as in John will now take care of you. Family is everything to God. We are created by God to be in family. It's the single most important social structure that defines who we are, our identity, our health, our vitality, our contribution in life. Unfortunately, family has been a very painful experience for many of us. Divorce, infighting, abuse, infidelity, dysfunction. The list, heartbreakingly, is too long. Sin has marred what the family should be. But God has a spiritual family for us. It's the local church where broken people gather together under the banner of Jesus as his redeemed ones and come together as a family under a new father who heals, restores, and makes us whole. It's like gifting someone with a brand new car. Have you ever seen those videos where those very wealthy athletes buy a, a brand new car for their mom or dad and it's tied up in a bow and and all of a sudden, there's the big reveal moment in the mom or the dad. They just go crazy. They jump up and down, and they're crying. You know, like, you get such a grand and generous gift. You're so thrilled in your heart. But then God gives you a house with a garage to park it in. So God saves you, and then he gives you a family to journey with you. What kind of love is this? We see that in Mark 15... A fourth thing that Jesus said, my, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? One of the things that we will never be able to fathom is that in Jesus' greatest moment of crisis, God abandoned him. For his entire life, Jesus had the Father's continual presence with him. Now it went black. God, seeing the sins of the world heaped upon Jesus, past, present, and future, your sins and my sins. How many sins is that? It's nearly uncountable. There's billions of people that have lived throughout history. And each one of those persons, how many sins have they committed? Hundreds or thousands. And at that moment, the Father collapsed history into one moment. And all the sins that have ever been committed, past, present, and future, were put upon the Son of God. He had no choice but to look away and to desert Jesus. 
Holiness and sin have no fellowship. They have no business together. Jesus drank the cup of abandonment and eternal loneliness for you and for me. Now, interestingly, one of the great social diseases of modern cities and urban life is loneliness. Over and over again, studies have shown that people are lonelier than ever, even though they're surrounded by people, even though they're connected on social media. Loneliness is a deep and entrenched social disease. And Jesus understands. He's been there. It happened to him on the cross. He took that loneliness upon himself so that you don't ever have to feel lonely again. Jesus took the rejection so you can be accepted and favored. The miracle of Christianity is God can live in your heart from now until the day you die. You don't ever have to face life by yourself. Soren Kierkegaard, the great Danish Christian philosopher, theologian, lost five of his six siblings by the time he was 22. Barely any of his family was left, and yet he was not alone. Out of suffering came great theology about the nearness of God. That is comforting love. In John 19, Jesus said this, I thirst. Of course Jesus thirsted. He had been beaten. He was hemorrhaging. He had been hanging on a cross under a hot beating sun. He had been subjected to torture. Now he was as parched as a human could be. And he thirsted so that we don't have to thirst again. For all that we do in life, all that we accomplish, our pursuit of our goals, all the money we make, all the status that we gain, if we don't have Jesus in the center of our lives, we will always thirst. There's a, a, a gnawing. Something's not right. You can have all the cars you want in the garage. You can have all the rings you want in your jewelry box. You can have all the money you want in your bank account, but something doesn't compute. We won't be satisfied. So we search for meaning. We start serving. We get involved in causes. We give our money away. We act charitably. Meaning gets close to quenching that thirst, but it still won't satisfy the soul because we are created with a God-shaped hole that only God can fill. All our good works cannot fill it. Jesus lived the perfect life of charity. And what did it get him? Crucifixion and death. No matter how good a life we live, it will leave us thirsty. But if we invite Jesus to take over our life, the Bible says a river of life starts flowing inside of us. Again, this is a beautiful picture of the essential services that God gives. We may be taken care of on the outside. We can have a great health care system. We can have great subsidies from the government. And yet, at the end, there's still a thirsting. Everything is peaceful and at rest on the outside. But on the inside, there's an unrest. We need that thirst to be satisfied. And Jesus says when he comes into our life, he creates this well, this river of life that starts flowing. And no matter how difficult it is on the outside, there is a joy within that essential service can only come from heaven. There is no imitation. There's nothing that can replace what God can give. And not only do we have water to drink, we have water to offer others. How great is that kind of love? 
John 19, further down, Jesus said, it is finished. Have you ever heard someone say, here, let me finish that for you? It brings such cheer to our hearts. One summer, I had the kids work on our yard, clearing the brush, pulling weeds, teaching them to be responsible, helping them to grow up as adults. And on one particular day, I saw that they had reached the limits of their 10 and 12-year-old hands. So I said, let me finish that for you. You guys go on. They were so happy, threw down their gloves and skipped inside to get drinks and refreshments. I was finishing the job for them. My sister used to go to her friends during college uh, exam week and offered to help type papers for her friends. She was one of those people that you hated on because she got all her papers done early. She was always ahead of the curve. And then she went around offering to help people during exam week. But what a great thing. She would come alongside her friends and say, hey, let me help you type that paper. Let me finish that for you. Whether we help someone finish peeling the potatoes, painting a room, or dying on a cross, there's nothing like someone else finishing the job. In Minnesota, where I come from in the States, the laws of that state allow the governor to finish the sentence of any criminal he chooses. And that prisoner is then set free when the governor steps into the jail cell at that time. That's what Jesus did. The governor of the universe came and completed our sentence so we could be set free. What kind of love is that? Finally, we see in Luke 23, Bible records that Jesus cried out with a loud voice. It said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The last words of Jesus. This is a point about trust. Despite the unimaginable horror that Jesus was going through on the cross, Jesus still trusted. Friend, there is no suffering that you have gone through or may be going through or will go through in which Jesus doesn't understand your desire to give up on God. He understands your doubts, your anger, your confusion, your questions, your pain, your rage, and your hurt. He understands it all. He doesn't discount or throw away any of those feelings. Jesus was tempted to curse God and throw it all away. Why have you forsaken me? I have lived the perfect life. I have obeyed you. I've sought you. I've made the kingdom first in my life. I've not sinned against man or woman or anyone. I was the embodiment of the law and perfection. And now, at the worst time, you are abandoning me. And yet, what did Jesus pray? Into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. It would have been so comforting to curse God. Curse the God of heaven and earth. Get your revenge. But as the Bible says, Jesus was tempted in every way as us, yet without sin. Jesus still trusted, even though his mind raged against him, to trust in God. And how did God reward Jesus' his trust? Well, Mary and Mary heard it from the angel's mouth. He is risen. He is not here. Friends, trusting in God always puts resurrection power on your side.
That is why the two ladies were gripped with trembling and astonishment. It's called the miraculous, all-powerful, incomparable, perfect love of God. They had no idea of the new life that God had waiting for them. And it was glorious. Here's how Paul described the resurrection in Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril as in COVID or sword? Doesn't matter if I get displaced. Doesn't matter if my family gets sent to another country. It doesn't matter if I'm hungry. It doesn't matter if I lack clothing. It doesn't matter if I'm persecuted because of the color of my skin. It won't separate me from the love of Christ. Paul says in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Wait a minute. I feel like a victim. I feel taken advantage of. I feel trampled on. My rights are not being prosecuted. What's going on? Yet that love keeps us and protects us and makes us strong. Courage comes from within. And the love of God fills us with that courage. I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God. No institution, no intellectual construct of the mind, no demonic forces, no oppression, none of this will separate you or me from the love of God. It's indestructible. And if that love is in you, you are indestructible. Beloved, this is the good news of God's perfect love for you and me. This is why for the Christian, Easter is not just one day a year. It's every day. Because the love of God surrounds us at all times. What essential services do you need? What does your heart long for? What champions in your life need to be hurled out of the ring? If you want his perfect love this morning, I want you to pray with me. This is what I want you to know before I pray. The reality of salvation and peace and loves comes by the Spirit of God. God sent his Spirit on the earth to make himself real to you and to me. God is not just this benevolent figure in the sky that's so far away we can never touch him or get close to him. No. God sends himself on planet earth so that we can experience him. It's God's spirit that comes to you right now wherever you're viewing this. In your room. On your bed. On your phone. On your tablet. On your TV screen. On your computer. God's Spirit is ready to pour out His love on you and into you if you're ready to open your heart to Him. And you will feel a trembling and astonishment come upon you. Joy and peace, laughter, maybe tears. Maybe you'll get up and you'll dance. Don't worry, no one can see you. That's the point. There's a new grip on your life and it's not the grip of death or fear or anxiety. 
It's the grip of God's perfect love, God's saving love. So let's take a moment and pray. You can pray with me. Father, we look to you right now. We thank you, Father God, that the storehouse of heaven is open. In this season, when we can seem weak and in so much need, we thank you, God, there's a supply that's endless that comes from you. That you provide the very nourishment that we need on the inside. And friend, you can be forgiven despite all your foolish and sinful mistakes. You can have eternal life despite a life badly lived. You can have a new spiritual family to heal and restore you if your natural family has failed you. You don't ever have to be lonely again. You don't ever have to thirst again. You can be content forever. You don't have to pay the wages of sin because Jesus paid it for you. You don't have to live a life of unbelief and mistrust. God understands suffering. Bring it to him and trust in God just as Jesus did. If there is that pull, that sense of hope, that sense of this is what I want, then just say to Jesus in simple words, come into my life. I yield my life to you. Jesus, forgive me for my sins and make me new. Let your spirit fill my heart and mind. Replace all fear and all loneliness with your joy and with your presence. If you prayed that simple prayer, you are a son or daughter of God. And God comes to claim you as his own. We have a chat that's going on as the service is going. Feel free to just indicate that you have prayed and made Jesus your Savior. Maybe just put a thumbs up emoji in the thread. Or you can email us at info at fivestoneschurch.org about your decision. So we can follow up with you to help you grow in your new relationship with Jesus. We're glad you could join us this Sunday to celebrate Easter. We hope to see you next week online. God bless and have a great Sunday.